welcome to Novel Ideas, episode number 81. I'm Candace Huber, your host and the owner of Tubby & Coo's Mid-City Bookshop in New Orleans. Novel Ideas is all about what I do best, books and board games. I bring you news, discussions, interviews, and more every month. And most importantly, I make your TBR and or gaming list that much longer. This month, I'll catch you up on some industry news, discuss our book of the month, The Sea Beast Takes a Lover by Michael Andreessen, and bring you an interview with Michael himself and introduce you to a new segment called Write Write, wherein I give you some writing tips. That lovely song you're hearing is Brave by Jonathan Colton off his newest album, Solid State. Grab a cup of your favorite beverage, pull up a chair, and let's chat. So let's start with some book industry news. I have discovered that Jonesy, the cat from Alien, the old movie with Sigourney Weaver, is getting his own book. This is via Nerdist. And if you've seen the classic sci-fi film Alien, uh, you obviously know the story of the starship Nostromo, which embarked on this voyage and, you know, obviously all the things that happened in Alien. But... The thing is, is that Ellen Ripley isn't the only person who survives that. The other person who survives, or should I say pet, is the Tomcat Jones, also known as Jonesy. He survives cryosleep as well, and he makes it into the sequel. So, thanks to the folks at Bloody Disgusting, I have now learned that Jones's terrifying story of survival is finally being told in book format. So, Jonesy the Cat's riveting tale is called Jonesy, Nine Lives on the Nostromo, a full-color illustrated book that gives readers the cat's point of view of the entire xenomorph massacre on the ship. So this is really interesting and exciting. I love Jonesy in the Alien movies, and so the book is due to hit October 16th from Titan Books, and obviously we will have it in the bookstore. It will be for kids, for parents, for everyone, especially for nerds. So be on the lookout for that. Also, unfortunately, The Expanse on sci-fi has been canceled. It is apparently a a big deal. A lot of people have been talking about this, that they didn't want it to get canceled. uh, But sci-fi has canceled The Expanse. That was another piece of news that has come out. And finally, a couple of episodes ago, I discussed speculation about George R. R. Martin's Winds of Winter possibly being released this year. The Strand had put something up on their blog about it. It was like a whole big thing. Everybody was discussing if it was going to come out. Well, it has been confirmed. It is not coming out this year. George R. R. Martin has posted on his blog that Winds of Winter will not be released in 2018 but he will be releasing a an imaginary history about House Targaryen called Fire and Blood. So this is a book about Targaryen history specifically that will be released on November 20th. But unfortunately, Winds of Winter will not be coming out this year. Who knows when it might come out. So that's all the industry news that I have for today. You can get details and links on all of that news that I discussed in the show notes on our website at www.tubbyandcoos.com slash blog. For this month's interview segment, I'd like to welcome Michael Andreessen. 
Michael holds a master's degree in creative writing from the University of California, Irvine. His fiction has appeared in The New Yorker, Tin House, McSweeney's, Zoetrope, All Story, Quarterly West, and elsewhere. He lives in Southern California, and The Sea Beast Takes a Lover is his first book. Welcome, Michael. Hi, thanks so much for having me. Thanks for being with us. And your stories are super imaginative, and they all use some combination of real life and the fantastic. A lot of them use archetypes. So can you tell us about your process for that? And like, how did you choose what parts of them to make real to ground in reality and what sort of fantastic spin to put on them? Uh, sure. I... Um... I think the stories actually all kind of start out semi-realistic. Um, and uh, once I figure out what the kind of emotional tension is, whether it's a, you know, uh, a relationship that's on the rocks or a kind of loneliness or sense of longing, uh, usually I need something to, to shake it up. Um, uh, you know, I love realism. I love reading realism. But when I try to write it, I get kind of hopelessly bored. Everything kind of seems like uh, um, predictable and I know where it's coming from and I know kind of what, what plot ideas or what emotions are coming down the pipe. Um, and that's usually when I try to introduce the fantastic. Um, I think, you know, surreal elements or kind of science fiction elements or all of these things. I was a sci-fi and fantasy kid when I was growing up. You know, I, I, I think it was, it was high school before I even read a book that didn't have like a dragon or a robot in it. That's um, fair. So, sorry. <laughs> I said that's uh, fair. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so I think these were always sort of like part of my imagination and always part of my storytelling process. Um, and, uh, but, but when writing kind of, I guess, more literary fiction, um, if I'm going to bring those elements in, it's usually to uh, kind of, uh, play with these sort of uh, these conventional feelings or conventional relationships we have. Um, there's a story in the book that is about um, uh, infidelity. It's, it's about a, a husband who sort of regrets cheating on his wife. And I was started writing that story and, you know, it, 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 it was chugging along just fine, but I wasn't, I wasn't really sure <clears throat> what this relationship was like or why he was, frustrated with his original relationship and um suddenly these aliens popped up and uh you know when you're drafting if something weird happens i tend to just listen to them um and let them come in and, and show me something new in the relationship and and even with the aliens even with the kind of you know the, the sci-fi tropes um i'm kind of trying to make it interesting for myself so my thought was well okay we have like an alien abduction and that's helping us understand this kind of unfaithful relationship, but you know, what if these weren't regular aliens? What if these aliens were kind of stupid? Um, what if they weren't, weren't very good at their jobs or were kind of like bad students and weren't interested in doing all of their homework and just kind of asked questions um, of the people they abducted kind of strange questions, but questions that ultimately kind of became revealing. And, and I really like that because as these aliens would ask these questions of the people they abducted, uh, I learned more about the relationship and about these two characters, and it sort of shook up this whole kind of conventional um, uh, infidelity narrative for me. So I think when I when I decide to include the fantastic, sometimes it's there at the beginning of the story, but often I'm just sort of trying to shake things up so that new perspectives or new ideas about these relationships will will sort of surface, and I can explore those. 
Yeah, and I think that's apparent in all of these stories where, <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, something really normal is happening. And then, like, almost all of a sudden, something really weird, you realize that it's like, wait a minute, this isn't exactly what I think it is. Like, there's something, right. there's something off or weird going on. And, and I think that's what made the stories charming or interesting is that it's like, oh, this is, I think I know what this is, but I don't really know what this is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, and that's important for me too. You know, I, there is, I, I always enjoy the stories. Uh, you know, when I'm reading, I enjoy stories that keep me a little off balance and a little off center because it, it wakes me up and it means I'm paying attention to what the writer is sort of trying to show me. Um, but also when you're writing, you want to try to keep yourself, I think a little bit off balance. Um, you kind of want the feeling that that, you know, it's again, if it becomes too predictable for me, it becomes way too predictable for the reader. Right. Um, so so the more I can kind of keep myself off balance, too, and open to the idea that, that anything can come in at any moment and shake things up. Now, of course, that's the drafting process and the editing editing process. You suddenly have to become accountable for all of those weird decisions <laughs> and decide which of them to keep and which of them to, to go. And OK, we've got aliens, but do we really need these robots? Are they, should these robots stick around? And so maybe the robots go into the chipper. But, um, but so they, I, don't, I don't want to make it sound like, oh, it's crazy. Anything could happen at any time. You know, there, is, there does have to be a sort of method to the madness. You do have to um, take care of your reader and let them know that you're not crazy. You have a plan and, and you know where things are going. But, uh, but yeah, I like that feeling of being slightly off balance as I'm reading and as I'm writing. Yes, and I think you do that really well. Let's talk about themes for a second in your book, because to me, there were sort of two main themes in in pretty much all of the stories that that made them, even though they're very different stories, that obviously it's a short story collection, so there's some sort of uh, linking theme. For me, mm-hmm. those themes were lo- love and death both, I think, <laughs> kind of have uh, different, uh, I guess, uh, versions of those things in every story. So why those themes? Did you think about those themes when you were writing these stories and why use both of them in, in this collection? Uh, you know, I, I think those are kind of the themes in the, every story. All, all human stories involve usually one or one or the other. Um, but I think, um, I think it just so happened that, that a lot of the things that were happening to me or that I was thinking about or dealing with um, at the time that I was writing these stories had to do with kind of love and death. The, the, the first story um, involves a, a son sort of grappling with the death of his father. Um, and, uh, and of course, it involves it, it, it's one of my stories, so it's sort of in a, in a weird way and involving a strange ritual. But that was born out of the real um, uh, the real process of uh, my my grandfather was in the process of passing away, and I was um, looking at uh, my father deal with that uh, deal with the death of his father, and of course, very much in my mind, thinking, okay, one day I'm going to be in a similar position, and it was just something I was thinking about a lot. It was obviously on my mind a lot, and. Um, when that happens, I start writing about things. And when I start writing about things, I usually try to take a weird perspective so that I can understand it a little better. And that's where that story and that odd ritual sort of arrived. So, you know, these are kind of universal human themes, I think. Um, but many of them come from either, either real places or real things, uh, that, um, I was kind of just working through or thinking about at the time. Um, uh, now of course the, 
the fantastic elements uh, uh, were put in after as, as, uh, as, as a kind of way to shake, th- shake things up, like I said. So uh, uh, I can't say that a lot of these stories are sort of um, uh, uh, based on my life, but, but more just kind of the, the things you're thinking about. They inevitably come out in the work. I hadn't, I hadn't really thought about death as a theme um, in this book, but wow, now that I think back on some of the stories, absolutely, you're totally <laughs> right, it's there. But these are just, you know, this is the way the subconscious just sort of works into, into what you're writing. Exactly. And I think that that goes back to something that I say all the time for listeners of this podcast. And, you know, I own a a genre fiction bookstore. And so everything that I sell mostly is science fiction and fantasy. And I'm always saying Mm -hmm. that I feel like the speculative elements help us to think about and deal with things in a different way. Um, And and in my opinion, better a lot of times than literary fiction because of these fantastical elements, because you can both think about these things or or put thoughts forth and also have these weird elements to them that sort of makes you like flip the way that you think about things. And that's what I really like about genre fiction. Yeah, I think that's right. I think there's also, um, I think when we, when we read realism or like more conventional literary narratives, um, our guard is kind of up. You know, we, we, we know that these, uh, that these authors are going to try to show us something about the human condition or something very serious like that. And so we're, we're prepared for a very serious kind of lesson in who human beings are. And, you know, from my early days of science fiction and fantasy, um, uh, I, it, it was kind of escapism. It was, and my guard was always down. I just wanted a, I just wanted a nice, fun, sort of interesting story. And, that's always when I was kind of ambushed by those great fantasy and science fiction writers who could write um, uh, serious, like kind of emotional narratives or, or engage with very serious topics. And I would find myself suddenly enthralled or, or suddenly really under the spell of this, you know, deeply emotional narrative when really all I was, you know, expecting was a, a dumb story about a dragon. And so I, I think these sci-fi and fantasy tropes are great because they kind of get our guard down. And they might, that's, that's why, you know, some of the stories, I, I guess the reaction that I've gotten from a lot of people is, oh, I thought this was just going to be sort of a story about a sea monster. And then I felt this, or, oh, I thought this was just going to be a story about aliens. And then I felt this. Um, and I think it is kind of a, we're, we're not trained to, to have our emotional guard up when we're reading uh, uh, fantasy and science fiction. And while that's lamentable, because that often means that fantasy and science fiction maybe isn't taken as seriously as literature, um, it's great for writers like me who can then kind of use those tropes to, to sneak in uh, kind of the, the, the more weighty topics or the more weighty issues um, where the, the, the conventional reader might not be quite expecting them. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. Well, that is all the time we have for our interview. I really appreciate your time. Thank you for coming and being on our podcast. And oh, thank you so much. Yeah, and where can people find you if they want to... Uh, connect with you online? Uh, I have uh, a website, michaelandreessen.net, where they can go and, and find out more about the book and, uh, and uh, order it there. Awesome. And we will post that link in our show notes as well. And of course, if you are local here in New Orleans, you can get Michael's book at Tubby and Coos. Thank you very much, Michael. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. And now it's time for our 
book of the month. Each month, I'll introduce you to one of my picks and announce the book for the next month so you can read along if you so choose. You can also discuss our books of the month and get updates in our discussion group on Goodreads. Just search for Tubby Ampersand Coos with an apostrophe S, or the link will also be in the show notes. This month's pick is The Sea Beast Takes a Lover by Michael Andreessen. This collection of short stories was equal parts weird, ridiculous, and charming. Each story has something to say about love and death in all of its forms. Love of family, romantic love, love of a job, love of a god, love of a sea beast. Love and death sort of permeate all of the stories in this collection. And each story takes place in different types of worlds as well. So, for example, the there's a story called Our Fathers at Sea, which is the first story, and another story, the title story, The Sea Beast Takes a Lover. Those two take place in ocean, water-type settings. We have Bodies in Space and Rockabye Rocket Boy, which take place in space settings. The King's Teacup at Rest and Rite of Baptism are in these, like, fun house carnival-type settings. And... In all of these worlds, there are things that ground us. So either the premise of the story or the setting of the story, you know, things like high-rise buildings or pirate ships or suburban neighborhoods or relationships, there are different situations or settings that ground us in reality. And the stories all start off with these really normal or seemingly really normal premises But there's always also a fantastic twist in these stories. So things like a boy who flies around on rockets and literally can't land, or a girl with no head, or a radioactive kid who explodes, or a sea beast. So, you know, all of these stories start seemingly really normally, and then all of a sudden you start to realize things aren't what you think they are. So, you know, you might think that it's a story about a relationship about a man having an affair on his wife and then all of a sudden he gets abducted by aliens and the story becomes something different. So all of these stories have sort of weird different elements to them that made them something more or something different. And the stories are really less about characters and plot and more about the situations and settings. And those situations and settings are typically either humorous, unsettling, and tragic, and or tragic. And most of the stories are are tragic and also have little bits of humor in them. And I would say pretty much all of them are unsettling in some way. And during each story, you know, I was laughing. I was you know, really interested in in these settings and and things, situations that were being set up. And then when they were over, I was sort of always left with this profound sadness when the stories were over because they were tragic and the things that were happening in these stories were much deeper than the seeming premises of sea beasts and aliens and rocket boys. So Andreessen's use of juxtaposition is really brilliant here um, because he's taking things that are normal and like really putting them against things that are really not. And his imagination really shines through in these stories as well. You know, I, I hesitate to use the word original because I don't think anything is really original anymore. But what I can say is that I truly haven't read anything quite like the stories in this book which is a high compliment. And 
you know, I think the book is worth your time. I think the stories are very well written. I think they're charming. I think they're haunting. I think they're tragic. And, you know, I definitely think the book is worth reading. I do have to say that my one complaint or criticism of this book, the most frustrating thing for me, is that the way the stories treat women, the way that the author writes women into these stories, I wasn't really on board with. Uh, In every story, I felt like the women were relegated to, like, absent or belligerent wives or headless sisters or terrible mothers or stereotypical porn stars or frustrating mistresses or sea beasts. So I I just feel like he could have done better with the women in these stories. And the boys and the men are always the conflicted heroes and the sympathetic characters, while the women are mostly just there to serve the plot of the stories and to serve the stories of these heroic men. So that part was really highly disappointing and frustrating and an otherwise brilliant book of short stories. I mean, I really think that these stories are imaginative and really interesting and really different. However, the way that the women are treated was really disappointing. So if I had one criticism, it would definitely be that. The stories, though, are easy to read. Um, It's a book that you could probably blow through in like an afternoon. And even with the way it treats women, I think it's worth reading for a couple of reasons. One, to learn uh, both what not to do with women (laughs) and also to learn how to put really cool, great, different twists on reality to create these like more original, more well-written stories. I think I think the author does that really well. I think the stories are a study in good writing. I think they're a study in imagination. I think they're a study in how to take situations that we all know and put different twists on them. I also think it's a study of probably how not to write women. (laughs) So I think that it's definitely worth reading. I enjoyed the stories um, anyway, despite that. We do have an interview with Michael coming up, and he talks about how he wrote the themes and different things in the story. So I think that you'll enjoy that as well. So do you agree? Do you disagree with me? Do you have more to say? What did you think of The Sea Beast Takes a Lover? Have you read it? Tell me what you think in our Goodreads discussion thread. Just search for Tubby Ampersand Coos with an apostrophe S on Goodreads or follow the link in the show notes. Next month, I'll be discussing Trail of Lightning by Rebecca Rowanhorse. The first book in a new series, Trail of Lightning, follows an indigenous monster slayer named Maggie Hosky as she teams up with a local unconventional medicine man to uncover the mystery of some weird happenings in Dineta, formerly the Navajo Reservation, after climate change has destroyed the earth. With a cast of all indigenous people taking place in a Navajo setting and weaving indigenous culture, legends, and myths, this book is bound to be really exciting. I'm about halfway through it right now, and I'm really enjoying it so far. So please go ahead and read it with me. It is called Trail of Lightning by Rebecca Rowan Horse. If you decide to read it with me, please go to our Goodreads discussion group and let me know your thoughts in the thread. I may feature them on the podcast next month. 
segment titled Write Right, I give you tips you can hopefully use in your writing process. And if you're not a writer, maybe these are things you can look for when being critical about the books you read. For this first segment, I'd like to talk about the ethical responsibility of being a writer and give some tips on how you can go about creating your worlds and characters without doing harm to real life groups of people. To start, let's talk about the importance of storytelling as a whole. So storytelling has been around like as long as humans have. In the caveman days, they told stories to each other for safety reasons, right? Like, don't go over there. That's where Uncle Oog got mauled by a bear or whatever. So we have legends and myths today for the same reason. And they're what I like to call the boogeyman stories, right? Like, don't go out at night or you'll get hurt by the boogeyman. So more people today read fiction than read the news. That is just a fact. More people are interested in not reality than reality. So stories hold a lot of power, and especially fictional stories hold a lot of power. And therefore, those who tell stories hold a lot of power. And that's why it's so important that we have so many different voices telling stories. And that's why movements like own voices and we love diverse books are really vital to the publishing industry and to writing. And because storytelling is so powerful and because so many people read and glean information from fiction, even if it's subconscious, it is vital to get your characters and world building right in your writing. So I'm going to give you just a couple of tips. I don't have a ton of time. This is a subject that I could talk about all day long. You can come visit me at the bookstore if you want to go like hugely into depth on this. But I'm going to give you just a few tips on how you can go about creating characters and worlds without harming real-life groups of people, how you can use your powers in your stories for good. So the first thing I want to talk about are my top 10 tropes and stereotypes to avoid. These are things that we've all seen before. Hopefully you know what they are. If not, you can look them up. I'm just going to list them because of the lack of time. But these are things like don't do them in your writing. The first is the magical Negro. The second is indigenous people as wild, uncivilized savages. The third is the sassy, fun, gay man, best friend. Next is the sassy black woman, best friend. People of color as sidekicks. The angry black woman. The fat villain. The man in a dress. The white savior hero. Diversity for diversity's sake, which is creating a cast of different characters who are all like one-dimensional stereotypes just to say that you had representation in your book. All of these stereotypes are cliches. Stereotypes in general are cliches. They've been done a million times. We've all seen the man in the dress. We've all seen people of color as sidekicks. We've all seen the angry black woman. Like, it's boring. Don't do it. And you can do better in your writing. So just... Don't don't do those things. It's really easy to to use things that aren't those things. And it's really easy as white people. I am a white person. And it's really easy as a white writer to fall back on the things that you know that you've seen a million times before. But we're more creative than that. We're writing. Right. So find something else. Find another way to do it. Don't just rely on stereotypes. So my second piece of advice is to know the people that you're writing about. So if you're deciding to write a story with a main character or from a point of view 
of a character who is not like you in some way, whether a different race, a different sexuality, a different ability, a different gender, however you decide that this person is different from you. As author Brian Camp has said, both on this podcast in our last episode and at the store at various events that he's been at, he says, don't write about someone if you haven't been in their living room or if you haven't held their babies, right? So make sure that, you know, you at least have some sort of knowledge of the people that you're writing about. Make sure that you know those people. Make sure that you have been in their living room. Make sure that you have had the conversations with them. And another way of putting this is to say, do your research, you know, know the cultures that you're writing about. Make sure that you're not writing one-dimensional characters. Make sure that you're writing well-rounded people, you know, like don't think of your character as a, you know, non-binary, whatever, whatever. Think of them as somebody who likes cheese and monkeys or whatever it is, you know, make sure that you define your character by their likes and dislikes and, you know, their life experiences just as much as they're defined by their identity or the way that they identify. The next piece of advice I have is to know that you suck. Like that is the baseline, like know that you suck and actually listen to the people who have the lived experience you're trying to write. So again, this goes back to being in their living room, doing your research, listen to those people who actually have lived the experience that you haven't and will never live. Know that you suck. Know that you're going to mess up. Know that you don't know that lived experience. And then do your best to listen and to learn and to not be offensive about it. Also, I think another side of that coin is that you really, as a writer, need to truly gain a real understanding of the power structures and systems of power, how they work in the real world to oppress and marginalize, and how you've weaved those systems into your stories and then smash them, right? Like how have you weaved patriarchy into your stories? How have you weaved white supremacy into your stories? How have you weaved you know, the police into your stories, all of these systems that are oppressive and that marginalize people, how are you weaving them into your stories and then smash those things? One of my favorite authors, Daniel Jose Older, says, I will quote him, quote, every character has a relationship to power. This includes institutional, interpersonal, historical, cultural. It plays out in the microaggressions and hate crimes, sex, body image, life-changing decisions, everyday annoyances, and the depth of historical community trauma. Power affects a character's relationship to self and others and their emotional and physical journey through the story. He said it better than I could, so make sure that you understand those power structures and how you're weaving them into the story. Also, finally, consider why you want to write this story. Why do you want to write the story from this particular perspective? Is this a story, ask yourself, if your story is a story that is better told by own voices, is this a story that's better told by someone with that lived experience? Consider that. Consider your own place in the power structures and how that will affect your writing. Consider your place of privilege in the world. I, I you know, we all have places of privilege and we all have places of marginalization. I think that 
everybody sort of has a mix of these things. Like nobody is 100% privileged. Nobody is 100% not privileged. I think everybody sort of has a mix of, you know, places of privilege and places of, of not privilege. So understand where you fit in that structure and how your place of privilege weaves into that, how your place of privilege affects your writing and what you can do and why you're writing the story and would it do better for you to give a platform to someone else. And if not, if this is a story that you want to write and you feel like you need to write, going back to all the other things, make sure that you don't use stereotypes. Make sure that you have been in the person's living room and held their babies. Make sure that you know that you suck. Make sure that you have an understanding of power structures. Make sure that you know that you're going to mess up. And when you do mess up, ultimately, because we all mess up, we all make mistakes, it's okay. Know that you will mess up. And when you get called out for the things that you mess up on, especially if you're getting called out from a marginalized group, make sure that you listen to that. Make sure that you learn from that. Make sure that you don't make the same mistakes again in your next piece of writing. Make sure that the way that you respond to those criticisms is by listening and learning, acknowledging your mistakes, and saying that you'll do better. I think that is the best thing any of us as white writers can possibly do. So these are just some very basic tenets of creating characters and worlds without harm. If you'd like to get more in depth on this subject, I really highly suggest reading a book called Writing the Other, written by Nisi Shaw and Cynthia Ward, or better yet, take a workshop from them. You can find all of that at www.writingtheother.com. We'll have a link in the show notes. They are amazing. They're doing really good work. And if you really want to get into depth on this stuff, I really highly recommend what they're doing. And we also at Chubby and Coos have a summer intensive writing workshop coming up called Building Better Worlds, for which we're currently accepting applications. So if you want to get more into depth with this with me, if you want to get more into depth with this and, and really examining your writing and examining what you're doing and learning more about all of this stuff and about how you can build better worlds without harming real life groups of people, come take our workshop. It's going to be really, really great. And you can get more information and apply for that at www.tubbyandcoos.com slash workshops. And that's all the time we have for this month. Join me again next month for more book industry news, my book of the month discussion of Trail of Lightning by Rebecca Rowan Horse, an interview with Lania Knight, author of sci-fi novel Remnant, a post-apocalyptic thriller where nothing is what it seems, and a bookstacle of our best-selling books so far this year. You can find a recap of this month's podcast, including links at www.tubbyandcoos.com slash blog. You can also find the bookstore on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Tubby and Coos, spelled out. And finally, a list of all the books our book clubs are reading, this podcast book of the month, and more can be found in our Goodreads discussion group. Just search for Tubby Ampersand Coos with an apostrophe S or follow the link in the show notes. Tell us what you're reading. We'd love to discuss with you. The music you heard today is by Jonathan Colton off his newest album, Solid State. Thank you for listening to Novel Ideas on WRBH. I'm your host, Candace Huber. Keep on reading. <laughs>